on the 60D. Audio recording H4N. Mine. I've been recording for the past little bit for online. Okay. And recording this one. Is it right. up top? Yeah. There we go. Okay. We're rolling. Yeah. Yes. We're. What's wrong? This is going to be like the intro of every podcast. Hurry up. What is it? What is it? What? Yeah. Let me do my audio check. Audio check. Sounds quite sensitive, I think. Sync our audio up to be a similar, at a similar mic level, so they're not pulling in too much background noise. Fifty. Can you go? Well, just do your own audio check, but see what it sounds like at me the record level of fifty. Just because mine was at about sixty last time, and I think if we take it down a bit, my voice should be still good. Hopefully, yours is too, and we can cut down some of that background background noise. Mic level fifty. Check so, one, check. That's fine. That sounds good to you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's recording there. I now have to put the volume up quite a bit so that yeah. I can 100% hear you. I haven't really fiddled around with it. So let's go all the way up to. That's pretty loud. So, I can hear them, though. I know. <laughs> it, I didn't know it was going to be that bad before, but no. Does it matter? Because, I mean, we can't really do anything about it at this point. Tell them to shut up. You we know, just, in, the, in the olden days when men were <laughs> filming their podcasts, they would just send the uh, the women out to out to pasture. And, uh, to do the, the dishes out in the field? It's true. In the summer, they could just be gardening. It's incredibly sexist, but... Why not? It would solve a very loud, audible problem. But it all fine. gets better in time. I think we've had some good runs. We should have expected. Yeah, when we invited another one over. Yeah. Another one of the women folk. That's okay. Um, the only thing that's different is throw you off because you can hear them. Yeah, a lot more so. It's more distracting than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll just turn my volume down slightly. <laughs> then you won't hear them. Perfect. I guess regardless of where our volume sits, we're going to be able to hear each other. That's so true. I can hear you. It's amazing how much it amplifies it more than just a regular human ear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is fine. Unless they've stopped talking. I don't know. I bet I can't hear them. No, I can't hear them. Okay. That's <laughs> Um, yeah, so no, this, this was a quicker setup. I know the first night it took like Getting an hour. Streamlined. This, this is, this is week three. Three weeks it went by quick. Soon we're going to hit like episode 10 and episode 20. I hope by that point we still, we, we will have released a couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> With a title. Yeah. Still don't know what a title would be. No. How many pilots do we get before it's, just call it quits? Just mm -hmm. How many, how many pilot episodes do we get before we just call it quits and say, wow, this is never going to have a title? Well, I, I, I don't know. Like the, the, I, I might be 
a little self-absorbed, but I was listening to it and the band, the, the information is good. The sources are a little sketchy here and there, but the conversation is good. I find it interesting. So I, I, I think we're onto something as far as the conversational side of things go. Having a title will definitely help it, you know, be marketable. Probably shouldn't brainstorm them now because it'll just be show way too many failures. Yes, but I don't know. There's there's a few, but that'll come with time and then the music and then I don't know about the pilot. Once I put the GoPro footage to it, I'll see how it works. Just having the one camera was kind of weird, but... Yeah, no, that would be terrible. I think, I mean, if you go back to episode one of a lot of podcasts, episode one is just audio normally, and the first video episode, sometimes it's like just a laptop webcam. So even at that point, we still Now, to, to be fair, there's a certain level of expectation when you put out something in 2018. Yeah. Like... It should be in HD. It, Check. At the very least. It'd be hard to release something and not in HD now. You'd have to go dig out like an old camcorder. What do you think Joe Rogan uses? What does he use? Yeah, his, for his He cameras. probably uses webcams or something That's on a switcher. I'm I imagine, well, but it, they look good. His his stuff isn't as much as a, a high production value experience as something like the Frono's photo podcast, like Raw Talk. It, because uh, he's got sliders and all that kind of stuff and an actual operator. Whereas I think having just a switcher... Jamie would be enough to run a show like Joe Rogan's. True. Still distracted? Yeah. It's <laughs> terrible. It is. Maybe uh, we should have done this in the basement. Maybe. Would have been a little bit better. should send them to the basement. <laughs> uh, the, ba the basement is problematic again uh, because there's more noise in the basement. So people walk upstairs. You could potentially hear them. Um... I, I like being up here, but if we go into that room, you could almost soundproof it a little bit. It's pretty much all of this is resolved by just having one of us having our own space where you you know you don't have to worry about a landlord or something. You could just do whatever you want to a room because the moment I have that, I would gladly go out and buy all the soundproofing material I could possibly need for that that kind of thing for a proper recording experience, and then past that, it's set design, which. I, I've thought of some cool things I could do with some of the, the wood that I have. We've, you know, cut down like nice hardwoods and things like that, nice live edge stuff to, to build a set with. I could build my own cabinets, kind of a, not necessarily seeing how many Ikea cabinets we have laying around, but, but you could do a lot with that. Uh, even for soundproofing, like going out and buying stuff, even simple things like when we, just, when we toured, when I toured Niagara College for the first time, so it was the you know, the high school tours, one of the rooms we met in, they had egg cartons mm -hmm. on the walls and they got in trouble for it. I have a story for that, I guess. Not okay. really. Pretty much, that, that was one of the things, I think it was one of the show's popular mechanics for kids. Mm -hmm. they, there was an episode that they talked about how you would soundproof something, like, you know, to stop your bugging your parents with your drum set or whatever. But... They showed the trick with the egg cartons. And as a kid, I thought that would be so, such a good idea, but my parents would kill me if I, if I put those up on the wall. But, like, I secretly started saving all the egg cartons, and I was, I was going to do it, but I, I didn't have any reason really to do it back then other than just to not hear everybody else in the house, which would have been decent too. But, but now it's so practical, and I'm an adult, so I can do whatever the heck I want. And the egg cartons didn't look too bad. It gave a tech. You knew they were egg cartons, and yeah. yes, I think a 
properly funded college shouldn't have egg cartons no, on walls. No, <laughs> but it's it's very functional. It doesn't really matter what it looks like because it's off camera. You yeah. know, you just get that rectangle. Well, it was one hundred percent just a uh, audio recording studio anyway, mm -hmm. so there was no. So there's no there. looks involved. There you go. So it was good and it was funny and I mean it worked. It worked very well. And then just the 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 textured sponge. All the rooms had it, which looked very similar to egg carton. So I yeah. see why. Honestly, as far as looks go, it's not that much different. I know I, I watch quite a few YouTubers that just put their sound editing material as the backdrop. That's mm -hmm. that's what their backdrop is. And it's not too intrusive. You notice that it's there, but it's oh, not. So if, it's a black, if it's black, like just the black sponge, but yeah. it looks fine. We wouldn't both be able to wear black in front of it. But. No. <laughs> quite dark. But no, that's, that's a natural progression, but... We have the lights, we look good, um, it's properly exposed, you know, multiple cameras, the audio sounds good, it's all just a progression. You fix one part of the show, you get a new set, you get a new camera, you get new lights or whatever, and then you go from there. I think that, I mean, we were talking about doing this for a long time, and really it came down to actually just doing it, and now yeah. it's part of the weekly schedule. Now, if we had just started doing it months ago, we'd be pretty far along at this point. We would be. Which would have been nice. But there's absolutely no guarantee that we have a name. No. <laughs> <sighs> Gotta brainstorm that. And you know what? We started a little bit past 2018, but new year, new idea. Yeah. We also started, what, the last week in January? Would have been close, yeah. So it's been, it's been good, and I look forward to next Sunday and the following Sunday, and all the Sundays after that. And, well, I guess next year is not going to fall on your birthday because that's what today is. That's true. But Facebook, I, Facebook is so intrusive. It has reminded me no less than a dozen times about your birthday and about your birthday party, which we did yesterday. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, it's intrusive on your part and it's annoying on my part because people will post happy birthday. Yeah. And when I go to click and it says, oh, so-and-so posted happy birthday, I'd go. And it doesn't give me their posts. It gives me the uh, list of people. So I have to scroll through to find the actual person I was looking for. Hmm. It'd be nice if it linked to the specific one. You think. But then when I go to my, my, my Facebook page, I guess my profile page, I'll scroll down and it'll show one or two. And then it'll say see others and it's just a list. So it hides the it hides all the birthdays. It'd just be nice to scroll down and see. Which is entirely opposite as to how you would think it'd be, because as a, a person posting that message, it's the same as posting on your wall, basically. You go to your the Facebook page and you write something as if it was a post on their wall. So you That's it, true. what you could individually identify, even if, you know, forty people posted on your wall at the same time, you could go to each individual one, but how does it sort that out? As it, I think it is chronological. Yeah. So it's just first person. Hmm. And then, you know, if you didn't wish... <laughs> the way that it works is if you don't wish me a happy birthday today, tomorrow, it will say you missed my birthday. Wish Jesse a belated birthday. Yeah. Facebook will tell you to do that. Hmm. I tend to feel like I don't need to do that on Facebook once I've already said it in person. Well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Usually it happens in reverse order, but sometimes you're hanging out with the person at midnight, so... That's true. And works. we were, so, and it was fun. It was good. I, are you going to go to, well, eh, whatever. Are you going to go to Margaritaville again? I don't know. Um, I'm thinking 
because next year will be 27. Yeah. I'm thinking every year that goes by, unless it's a big year like 40, which consequently is only 13 or 14 years away. It's terrifying. It's weird when you think of it like that. Yeah. Um, especially with how quick it goes. Uh, I feel like smaller scale might be better. Like, that was a lot of money last night. Well, like, I, I didn't remember it being that bad last year. I don't remember last year. Like, yeah. I, I know that last year I had a different circumstance where a little special, special somebody paid for most of my food. But now that Very I saw somebody. the receipts, like, she spent a lot of money. Oh, yes. Because I drank a lot more at the restaurant last year. And those drinks aren't cheap. They're good. No. Like, they try to make it sound appealing. Like, oh, you can, you know, the drink, the margarita is 12 bucks. And you're like, well, that's pretty pricey for a drink, but whatever. It's like, oh, you can get a double. You get to keep the glass and you get discounted drinks. The double is, st- is still $24 for a, mm-hmm. a drink. And I, I finished that in like 40 minutes. So the, the thing about that Margaritaville, and I've asked them about it because it doesn't, it only now started to serve Landshark, their beer. Yeah, for, never for seven fifty a bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they exist as Margaritaville, but they're kind of the one of the only ones that really aren't overseed by or like like over kind of watched by the the Margaritaville Corporation. They're the only one in Canada, so it's, it's, I mean, Niagara Falls, I guess, makes sense. It does for Canada. And if you're going to have one, they, they kind of do their own thing. So their prices aren't reflective of other places. Now, I'm sure it's probably still expensive. It's it still tur- probably is, but you would think place. like Margaritaville in Jamaica by nature would have to be cheaper. Would just have to be cheaper. Taxes on everything's lower, especially stuff like alcohol. Well, there's that. There's the fact that. Even here, they're serving Jamaican rum. If they're serving Jamaican rum in Jamaica, Probably by cheaper. nature, it has to be cheaper. I noticed since since Jimmy Buffett is the, the businessman that he is, they serve Jimmy Buffett's tequila? Well, like, what, what was that called? You, yeah, I guess, do you know what that's called? Uh, it's a Margaritaville brand of tequila. Yeah. I wonder where do they make that. Uh, it is made... I mean, true tequila is made in... Mexico, so it doesn't have to be made there to be called tequila? I don't think so. No. But I think it is made in Mexico. They, they have... It's a whole lineup. I read an article about how Jimmy Buffett now doesn't... Jimmy... What was the article? Uh, the article is basically saying how Jimmy Buffett now doesn't live the Jimmy Buffett lifestyle. And the article talks about a man who's in his 70s. He is. Mm-hmm. spent his life creating this this beach culture, which he has, and and try to find the article because the title the, the title of the article sums it all up. Sure, basically, wow, Margarita almost sung, sums it all up. The the song in and of itself. That song and there's, launched a there's so many others where it's uh, where it's just um, I'm not even I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to find it. It's hard hard to fill the air just because I know you're going to pull something up, but I don't know know what I can talk about without pulling us too far off topic. I'm going to find it. The the whole idea, because he's in his 70s, he, in the article, he says that 
he doesn't drink margaritas anymore because he's on he's on a no sugar no carb diet. So margaritas wow. don't really <laughs> work for him anymore. And I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, Strange that he would pick a fad diet that's so in contradiction with the lifestyle he did live. We see that's that's just it. He did live it. He is older and he's in good mental health, hmm. which is good. Mm-hmm. Where is the article? Where is this article posted? You read it on, like, an on, official news source or what? No, just on one of the Facebook pages. Oh, okay. Oh, well. Um, it was just saying that he is still creating this, this cultivating this island lifestyle, but he he works every day. He has this beach. People look at him like he's this big beach bum, but he works really hard to do it. And he, the whole mentality was, and it's a great mentality, is he never... When he first started selling merchandise, it wasn't to make money. He said, obviously, that was nice. But he would always say when he would go to town, like perform in a town, Mm -hmm. and he'd walk around, all the shop owners would say, I love it when you come to town because I always sell out of beach balls. I always sell out of everything. And then he himself. "Hmm." And he would see the stuff that they were selling. And the problem is, is most of the stuff that they were selling spelled his name wrong. Because it's a double T on the end of his last name. They would give it a single T, so it was Jimmy Buffet. Yeah, but it's Jimmy Buffett. So I didn't know that part of the story. Yes, yeah, so it's like I'm going to spell my name right and sell it, and that started it. And then you open up a a restaurant. The Margarita Hill. He wrote very quickly. It was supposed to be a B track. I I feel it's a little bit overrated. It might, like my my introduction to it was I, when I was learning guitar as a kid. It was in one of the the practice books, and I I had never heard it before and it, it never it just sort of stuck in the back of my mind as oh this is you know second rate sort of song that gets stuck in a kid's guitar book it's, it's not it's not my favorite song out of the stuff he's done he's done a lot of other stuff but I, I, I like it I get it but when you the original song that was written was slower now it's it's kind of a party song but the song itself the guy has lost a woman mm-hmm. right he's He's uh, like drinking his sorrows with tequila, so it's actually not a happy-go-lucky no, song. But it, it isn't. It's, it's turned out to be. But when you dissect it, it's the guy's depressed. But I suppose it probably would be more so people can relate to that, especially if you're on a in a vacation spot. Maybe you know things are not going quite how you planned them to be, but you're just drinking away on a beach, and mm-hmm. that's all you got, and you're gonna be happy with what you got a little bit but it's i mean it pull it pulls in more if i remember right it is the most profitable single song ever just because the margaritaville name like there may be more artists that make more money i suppose you tie if you tie it in like that yeah not certainly not in sales of the song itself not in sales of the song but margaritaville as a name Fair. Which started as a song. It's the most profitable song ever because it's it's on blenders, it's on merchandise. Can you think of another song that sort of launched a a similar movement? So I can't really nothing that would be branded and sold in such a way. Uh other songs. Not for restaurants, actually. I, I wouldn't 
I, no. So it's kind of unique in that way. It is because, I mean, there's restaurants based around music. Like you have the Hard Rock Cafe, but that's not just one song. No, no. No other musical atmosphere. artist has their own line of restaurants based on their music, I don't think. I don't think Ozzy Osbourne has any restaurants. So. Ozzy Osbourne's coming to Toronto, I think, in September. That'd be interesting. I really want to go see it. I don't know. It's just one of those things that me and a, a friend growing up have pretty much committed to the idea that we've got to see Ozzy before he kicks the bucket. Because well, Although he's been managing not to do that for a very long I time, know. despite it's, his it's lifestyle. Surprising. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing... Like we're, you you grow up at a time where there's certain people that you think, oh, I have to see before they die. And years ago, it was like, well, I gotta see the Beatles. I gotta see Bob Dylan. I gotta see so and so. Bob Dylan's still. I know that. <laughs> yeah. So so many people are like, well, I gotta see him before he dies. Well, you know what? You're still good. Yeah. I I don't think Bob Dylan does shows though. I don't know. He's so reclusive and and strange. I think he got an award or something last year, and he just, he was, he thanked. Oh, he got the, he got, um. He, like, pre-recorded something in his house to send out. Yeah. But he just wouldn't he go to the ceremony. I can't remember what he got. It wasn't a Lifetime Achievement Award. It was a. It was, it was a big thing. It was a big award. Yeah, well, you spend, I can't imagine the, the lifestyle of touring is, is, is great. You, no. You, it, it would be neat to You can start. somewhat live up to your ego a little bit, I think. There's a lot of bands that still put on a really good show despite, you know, being doing the same thing for 40 years. Yeah, it'd be... It'd be... Um, that'd be nuts. And, uh, like, big bands, there's... You always make fun of some bands for saying, you know, they, they go out and they just play the hits. They can't play anything new because that's not what people pay. No, to no. See. Well, nobody wants to hear something new in concert, really. That's unless true. you know, unless it's maybe the guitarist is going to break away and do a crazy solo that somebody hasn't heard or. A twist. That's true. I don't want to go back to him, but out of all of the concerts I've been to, he's the one that I've been to the most. Every Jimmy Buffett concert I go to, and I'm running out of opportunities because I keep discovering ones. He'll sing something because he's at the point in his career where he cares, but he doesn't care. So mm -hmm. he'll do the songs he has to sing, Margaritaville, blah, da, 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 da. He calls them his big eight. Right. The ones that people would kill him if he didn't sing. <laughs> but the other ones he sings, water from his early stuff that people just don't know. And I've discovered stuff that I didn't know existed that are really good. There's a lot of depth to him. It's not just party songs. He'll sing. Like, which, at least he's getting to do that. Because you'd think once you make it so big off of this one song... You probably cornered yourself a little bit into. He did an African gimmick. album once. Really? He went to Africa, got inspired by African music, and music, and put out an African-based album. It didn't do well. No. No. Was it at least good musically? It would be my. Le I, it's it's okay. I don't have any favorite songs from the album. It's very different. <laughs> it used all like African-based instruments, and it didn't have the same type of vibe but it, it, for what it's worth it's fine and i i find that as as with any good artist i think as you get older different songs mean different things um and maybe at one point the african album will uh will will mean Be something more important he just released one 
because when he was recording back in Key West, he uh, was in a recording studio, obviously, and they did a bunch of demos. Then they just kind of didn't go anywhere and they forgot that they existed. And as these people were cleaning out this recording studio after it had changed hands, they found all these demos that he had recorded, none of which had ended up on any albums or anything like that. It was just mm-hmm. really early stuff, some covers of uh, other artists and whatnot. Does he have a, a record label specifically? Like he's someone that he only works with? A, his own record label now. Figures, I mean. Mailboat right. Records. Okay. It It's interesting the amount of quality that can go into certain records given the opportunity. Like I think I watched, there was a little documentary about it not that long ago, but I listened to the album probably like once a month is Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. Okay. Because uh, I think it's like the nerd, nerd writer or someone on YouTube. He he put out a video just talking about the amount of production that went into the song. You could listen to the demo versus, versus the actual song that was released. It is incredible. Like the way it would sound on just a concert before it was fully fleshed out never would have been hits. Due to the way that it was recorded and the amount of money that could be thrown at it, it is, I mean, it's probably one of the greatest albums of all time, at least for, for rock and roll. So I, it, it's kind of interesting anyways. I don't know if Jimmy Buffett suddenly came into money if he ever signed with somebody else before his own record label. It, it was... Because that, that's where those demo tapes go to something entirely different. Well, yeah, the, the demo tapes were somebody else. He paid to have them made, didn't go anywhere. Hmm. And they kind of... I don't know if they had to buy them, but they released, they bought them and they released them on a, on a, I think it's going to be a three-part anthology series and they just called them Buried Treasure. And it's really early stuff, some covers of like uh, Bob Dylan uh, and whatnot. And it's, it's just really interesting. I don't think artists get to like actually go back to the beginning. So it'd be, I mean, doing something like this 10 years from now, looking back at these, that would be neat. 20 years from now, or when we're old and gray, think of back at these. <laughs> think of also the creative power that people get once they get elevated to this position where, you know, they're famous, you'd think. Like, the, um, I, was, I heard through the CBC, because I didn't understand what it was. I, I was watching the Kendrick Lamar YouTube channel. I saw there was a, something in my box that said uh, his, his new song would start... Um, God, I'm going to slip and forget the name. Anyways, released a song, and I didn't realize it was originally correlated with the Black Panther movie. But later, the CBC broadcaster said, yeah, the, the story goes that the, the movie came to Kendrick Lamar, and they said, hey, can you work with us to record you know, a song for the, for the movie? And Kendrick Lamar sort of went through what the movie was about and, and looked into it a little bit further. And then he said, wait a minute, you know, Stop, don't try to pursue anybody else to do this. I'm going to write the whole soundtrack. And it's, I, I, I just found a, like a place so I could listen to the whole thing through. Because I was, I was considering just buying the album, but I, I always like to give it a listen beforehand. But I am super pumped to listen to that. It's just, but just think of being, like having the power of like somebody coming to you like, yeah, we, we were thinking about having you contribute to this. It's like, wait a minute, no, I'm just going to do the whole thing. And it's going to be amazing. Not too many people would have that power. No. You have but to he's, he's that a level. pretty hot yeah. commodity at the moment. When you get to do that. And that would be neat. The only problem is doing that better not suck. Because there's nobody yeah. else to blame. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with Kendrick Lamar, but I'm, nothing 
he has sucks. I don't know. And the movie looks really good too. Yeah. So it'll be a, it'll be a nice mix. I'm definitely gonna go see that later, but Marvel. I've been hearing way too much about it. Marvel is an interesting beast for that one. It's just when you think that things are going to start to go stale, they come up with a new new way of shooting Thor to make it a little more tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, a lot and, of people like the comedic elements. Yeah. I think really serious Thor fans felt kind of disenfranchised, but... I enjoyed this Thor bad. more than I enjoyed the first two. Yeah. No, it's, it's more of an accessible one to people that aren't necessarily big into just the comics. Thor, when you think about it, was the hard one because you're... Like, Iron Man, yeah, you get it. It's he's on Earth. It's at least relatable in that way, but Thor, you have to build Asgard. You have to build like a heaven almost, and you have to make it not cheesy, but you have to make it accessible. You have to make it able to be watched by people who know nothing about the comics. I think a lot of the mythology itself is tied into our culture, so they can they can pick out Norse mythology and play with elements from that, which I find interesting even just from stuff that I've learned in school about it. But, it, I, yeah, the comedy really sort of brings it together. Plus, you got a, an Australian dude playing Thor, which I don't know, I just thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Sounds really... And then the, the soundtrack was better. They seem, when they, when they get a surprise hit, like they did Guardians of the Galaxy, and it did better than they ever thought it was going to be. Fantastic. Really good movie. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know what? 80s soundtrack, so Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Again, good movie. But then Thor kind of has 80s soundtrack too, and it's, it's again... Kind of very 80s as well. And that's the only way it can be sustainable. You have to keep changing with the times. In the long run, it'll be interesting about whether or not it holds up. Because if you look at the movies, like, when we have kids and you want to show them. Not us together. but Not, yeah. Well, <laughs> not, yeah. <laughs> when there are children, offspring, on my side or your side, you <laughs> there's going to be hundreds of hours of movies to show these kids just marvel you can't catch up on that really that's insane and you can't just really show them like oh i like the hulk watch the hulk the hulk's connected to this like it just, was so much just easier when we were kids like i think a, an instance that really sticks out to me in my mind like it was a coming of age thing where like when uh i, I had gotten old enough my dad said okay you're old enough now you can watch jurassic park for the first time and he's like, okay, you have to, I'm going to get these headphones, plug them into the receiver, and you can, you're going to listen to that because your brothers are playing in the room beside you or whatever. And it's just this experience where I got to just sit on, on the couch by myself. Nobody else was around me, and I just watched this movie for the first time. I was just, my mind was absolutely mm -hmm. blown. And I, I, I guess that was probably the first gory, violent, it's not that bad. And even when you look Looking back, bad. it's not violent. No, it's but as a kid, that was... Oh, it was badass. Oh, yeah. And it still is. It, it holds, it's fun. It's fun. It's not a serious movie, but it is a lot of fun. Made me feel, eh, made me feel like a big kid, basically. I, I can't don't... wait till my nephew's old enough to watch it. Yeah. I told my brother-in-law, when you give me the word, we have a, we have a 4K... Uh, my other brother-in-law has a 4K projector in the basement with surround sound. And there's a re like a remastered version that's oh, 4K. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. It's going to be. It's great. Ooh, I've never seen one that good. And that's how we're going to watch it. Yeah. The, when Universal did their hundredth year anniversary and they re-released a ton of their movies and f like remastered, right? Jurassic Park being one of them, they went crazy with it. Hmm. Um, 
Geez, I don't suppose you ever saw it. They re-released Jurassic Park in 3D in like 2013. No, I didn't see that. That was fun. Yeah. They, wanted, they did a really good job with the post. Like they spent years getting it right. And it was like watching a brand new movie. Hmm. Even stuff that you know is going to happen. It's just surprising. Yeah. Because it jumps out. Have they done any such thing? Because I think this is one that really stands out too. With Jaws, because that's a, it's in the same category for me. So what they did is for their hundredth anniversary, which also coincided with one of Jaws's anniversaries, I believe. They remastered it. They went frame. There's a documentary about frame it. Frame by frame. Frame by frame, fixing uh, the documentary shows uh, one of the scenes with the um, with the mayor who has an anchor coat and anchor jacket on, and they were showing how they were going frame by frame on the original film, like the original reels, digitized, and they would go and they would um, they would fix even the slight tears. So they would go a frame forward to pick a part of his jacket wow. and then go back and place it. They went nuts with it. And it looks phenomenal. I want to sit down and watch that. They I don't... did a really good job with the remastering. Um, I own Jaws in every every format. In every format since I was born. So I missed out on the laser disc and whatnot, but I have it on VHS. I have the special edition on VHS. I have it on Blu-ray and DVD. Multiple versions on DVD. I was a lot older when I saw Jaws, but it was this thing. It, it was a unique perspective because it was my first sort of foray into understanding film as like a, a study. Because it was my grade seven teacher. He there was a part of the course that was dedicated to learning about film and how, how you know, different shots are composed in movies and how things are done. And the, the movie that we were going to watch was Jaws. And it was kind of edgy because there were some parents that were, like, not okay with that. But, you know, you got permission or whatever, and we were able to show it in class. You and, wouldn't be you know, able to do it now, not with the Blu-ray. Yeah. Cause I think I would have been about, what, 12 years old in grade 7? Maybe something like that. Yeah, that would be right. Yeah. So, and that was shocking. But at the same time, you, you're, like, analyzing it in this entirely different way. Like, oh, Everybody knows the jaw shot, of course. You know, your teacher pointing it out to you while you're, you're watching the movie. So your, your school's parents were upset. My grade 7 teacher, actually I guess it was grade 8, uh, signed me up for a, a uh, media festival for doing claymation. And he said, signed you up. Uh, you have to recreate a movie okay. in claymation. I'm like, I'm going to do Jaws. He's like, fine. And we did not stop with the blood. Catholic school, when <laughs> when the when the uh, boat captain gets bit by the shark, yeah. blood comes spewing. Little clay blood comes spewing out of his mouth. It was a bit gory. <laughs> uh, yeah. It wasn't good. It was like, at best, maybe a frame a second. Like, it was not. I didn't. I, I knew... It was the first time I had ever really put a camera to my hands. How did you shoot it? Did you just take a, you have, you know, a camera on a tripod, take a picture each time with uh, just the shutter button or what? Uh, no, I think back then we had a video camera. Okay. So we so just a, rolled the whole time? No, we would, we would take a quick video snippet and edit it later. Uh, hmm. it, it was, it was the first time I had to open up Windows Movie Maker. It was the first time. And looking back, I mean, it opened, it opened up everything, hmm. and it was neat. And Jaws was always on my parents' shelf. 
I didn't get to watch it till, um, I don't know how old I was. Would have been eight, maybe nine, uh, at my parents' cottage. Okay. So by the water. So by the water, yeah. By the water. And one of my dad's friends says, watch it. We had, they had it there. I watched it. Again, mesmerized. Really good movie. And you can be a kid and still enjoy the movie. And at the end, he was like, what'd you think? Well, it was really good. It was good all the way through. And like, I, I said, I don't understand why they're just swimming back to shore. Because what about octopuses? What about jellyfish? Like, there's more to worry about than just a shark. Right. It's like, well, you don't think about that. But the movie itself, I remember watching it on a very small screen. And it's just been a, a love because it's, it's something that I can watch now and just put it on in the background and just listen. I can probably go word for word. I've watched it enough times. Or if you actually sit down to watch it, there's still little elements that you can pick up on. We, I know a lot of YouTubers do this, but we could just give it a try anyways. I know a lot of, they'll, they'll, they'll sit down and they'll talk about a movie. And it's, you know, we probably will say some things that have been said a million times. But if we just did that, I think we'd probably like get something different. going? Or yeah. That'd be neat. Or, or it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. You could, we could just sit down, watch it, make notes, and then well, you would I, come I, back I to it. I would love to do a live view. Yeah. And yeah. You, you would play parts of the movie back well, maybe, and maybe go off of our notes and say, hey, you know, this seems stupid because of this error here or whatever. Something that we notice. You know, it's unlikely we'd get something new on a movie like Jaws, but you never know. It's a different input. It, there is, and there's, you watch the behind the scenes, it's really interesting what some film directors will will think of that you may never, as an audience person, get until they mention it, and then you can really appreciate it. Steven Spielberg in the behind the scenes told his art director, no matter what you do, nothing red. None of the outfits are red. Uh, nothing is red. The only thing I want red is the blood mm -hmm. and red wine at the dinner. And he said that was just for a personal reason. So it was red wine and the blood. And something like that, you realize there is no red. And when the blood shows up on screen. And for the colors too, I think a lot of that movie, from what I remember, because we did analyze it a bit, would have sort of cautionary colors like oranges or, or brighter colors in scenes where there might be, they're, they're trying to invoke a little bit of suspense. Because obviously, that, I think that was the whole idea of looking at that movie specifically. It was an example of a movie with suspense. The big thing with that movie, though, the music. Yeah, absolutely. It's extremely <laughs> iconic. The most iconic thing about it. I People who have never seen the movie know the Jaws, well, yeah. Jaws tune. It's, it's um, the, the scene. Like, there's, there's that, but then there's also cutting. They did a lot of experimental things with that movie. Uh, Spielberg always said... He thought that the scene um, where he's sh shoveling the stuff in the water, he's like, slow ahead. I can go slow ahead. Come on, uh, come down and chump some of this shit. And then shark pumps up. Back then, when somebody said shit on film, it would get a laugh because it was edgy. Right. So when you get a laugh and then you automatically, with no music, because it was always music, right? The, when that shark was about to appear, it was always music. So no music, shark comes up, you're startled. And when you look at it now, for me, the entire movie is still really good and I'll still watch it. 
but it's as good as it'll ever be because I know what's coming. Mm-hmm. When you watch it with somebody who's never seen it before, and when I find out people haven't seen it before, and you watch it with them, and they jump at every point that they're supposed to, you realize it works perfectly. It works so well. <laughs> the scene underwater when he's getting the tooth and the head pops through the boat uh, with the music, like that's that's free. Everything about it is well executed. At the end of the day, it is a action film that got lucky how good it was. Everything came together perfectly by coming together completely wrong in the behind the scenes. That's, you're almost on to something with the idea of sitting down a person who's never seen a specific movie before just to see if you get certain reactions because that's something you could talk about as well. But it's, it's an interesting idea because you could, you could, it's almost like a scientific test. Well, it's, it's funny with, uh, with Tila... I'll show her older movies that I think are classics, like when uh, when the reboot of National Lampoon's Vacation came ah, out. Uh, with uh, with um, not Chevy Chase. Not Chevy Chase. It was uh, uh, Ed Helms, the guy from The Hangover. Okay. It was it was funny, but I'm like, you can't. It's it's a reboot and sequel. So I said to her, it'd be smart to see the original Vacation. She thought it was dumb. She One had of the best. Really? Yeah, she thought it was that dumb. is such a good movie. She thought that the reboot was better. The reboot is horrible. Uh, I was so disappointed. I mean, you go to a dumb comedy, it's fine, but when it's too dumb to even be funny, it's no good. But the the first one's a classic. Christmas Vacation's a classic too. Absolutely. And I think she likes Christmas Vacation. But the the original Vacation with Chevy Chase is so funny. And there's points, like there's like small elements in that movie that from a comedic, I watched Vacation a little while ago, probably a few months ago, and I noticed when they visit their cousin in the desert, Cousin Eddie, uh, when he goes to kiss the wife, she's doing, and they don't make a big deal about it, it's just in the background. She does everything in her power to avoid getting kissed by him. Never noticed. Just something like that. It's just. I think I remember that scene. And then there's a, in Christmas Vacation, same thing, the yes. wife. There's a scene where they're eating at the table, she's eating and she's throwing her food. So she, like just small things that aren't focused really make it rewatchable. Because I, I mean, Christmas Vacation was 1980, or the original Vacation I think was 1983. So when you're when we're still talking about it, you know, uh, well, 83, now you get it's getting harder to do the math as yeah, you get it up to weird. So 2018 plus 83, so that's three on the eight. So that's 11 plus the years between. That's 10, 20. It's 30, 35 years. I don't know. I'm way too tired to be doing math. Yeah. But no, just that's that's interesting, and I think you make a good point. Some of the best movies of all time. Citizen Kane is a bitch to get through. It's a good movie, but if you're not in the right mindset, even though that I have it on Blu-ray, the best possible way to watch Citizen Kane mm-hmm. is still a bitch to get through. And yes, it's an influential movie, but I think that's all it is now. It's not. I st- that's I, a branching off point, I suppose. Hmm? A bit of a branching off point. Like, just, it's it's something that existed and maybe set the tone for other movies well, yeah. in the future. But. It, it's not the best movie of all time. No. It's influential, 
in its storytelling and the way they did things, but I would much rather watch even Scarface over Citizen Kane. Scarface, fantastic. I would, I would rewatch that. I think I've only watched through the entire movie maybe once or twice. That's about me too. Yeah. Godfather, same thing, only once or twice, just because you have to be in the right mindset. Mm -hmm. And with any type of movie series that I know is going to end in a worse direction, like Godfather, great. Godfather 2, amazing. Godfather 3, not good. No. So it's hard to sit down thinking, well, I want to know what happened, even though I know what happens it next. Looks, it's not good. I know it's going to be disappointing. The original <sighs> Godfather novel, though, that's something to check out. Not too many people know that it was based on a novel. Good novel. Good novel, yeah. Written by a very Italian person. Knew, he knew what he was talking about. It's very good. Very similar to the book, or very similar to the movie, but... If I'm looking for fiction, I'd probably give it a try. Mm -hmm. It... Hmm. I actually just thought of another instance... About earlier, like, you know, having somebody that's entirely new and unknowing to a movie watch it. The, I, I have a co-worker. He's, I guess he's 19. He had never, I, we were just talking about movies and, and, and we, I came up with one. I'm like, oh, you would probably like Sixth Sense. And he's like, what's that? And I was in shock. I was like, hey, you have to go home and watch this movie. Just, just do it whenever you can. And he came came into work at some point. I don't know if it was the day after or, or whatever. But he's like, holy shit. Well, he yeah. was dead the whole time. Well, something like that, you think everybody knows. No, but like... But there's still when some When I people. first watched it, I knew what the ending was going to be. And it was, it was already ruined for me. But there was just this bubble where this person could enjoy it in all of its glory just as somebody going into the movie theater mm -hmm. for the first screening of this movie would. That's, that's one of the things that uh, has been ruined nowadays with how... How transparent in some ways Hollywood is with the filmmaking side of things. Um, but so long as you're born after a certain date, the buzz is already gone. The joke about spoiling it is it's over. You miss out on it. Well, that's true. But, I mean, just right here, we didn't call it. If somebody is listening to this and they didn't know it and they hadn't seen it yet. It's, oh, it's ruined. It's I ruined. Guess. But still, people are going to avoid it. It's, that's it's true. crazy. I mean, you got to think, with the amount... With the, I don't know what the exact period is. What, uh, six, six cents that came out in the 90s? 94. 94. Think. Okay. I th think about it. There's probably kids that are old enough to watch the Harry Potter series now that will have never heard of Harry Potter because it's been done for a while now. The last movie came out, what, a couple of years ago? Last movie came out in 2012. 2012. We, so a kid that was maybe, I don't know, 10 years old at the time probably wouldn't have had that much interest in watching the new Harry Potter movie if they haven't followed the series throughout their lifetime. That's true. They could experience that in this bubble where they, nobody has ruined anything for them. I don't I think anybody is still really talking about the movie except for, you know, parts of the, well, they, their they fandom try to and all keep, that. They try to keep the Harry Potter franchise um, relevant. They had the... The Fantastic Beast movie, they had the stage play, all of which apparently is quite mediocre. So they try to keep it relevant, which is good because it will allow new people to discover it. Because that's that's the only reason why they're keeping it relevant. Does it? <laughs> I think we got to send a text to somebody that's currently off the set. Do <laughs> you know what they're watching? Yeah, that's uh, my demo reel. That's uh, well, that's related at least to what that we're would doing. be. I bet you anything they are watching that um, PEI documentary I did where we die at the end. 
Okay. Because I can't imagine them sitting watching our wedding demo reels. That seems a bit odd. But I highly, I, I, my, I believe that they're doing that so they so, can make fun of us dying at the end. So yeah, so there's a video. I guess I wasn't a part of this, but I watched <laughs> you, the video. And you I thought, existed. I did it. I did exist. A video that documents your adventures in PEI. Mm -hmm. And from what I got of it, you you went, you know, a lot of places. You, you went around the island. But, but the ending of this entire trip, what's the name of that song? Uh... I, I don't I can't remember the name of the song, ah, but they play it. Eastern Canadian. It was Home for a Rest or Home for a Rest, something yes. like that. Yeah, and Just it ends. Play the, it to the, the beginning the, of the song is very mellow before it hits a beat where it starts to like become a dance song or like a an upbeat song. And yeah, looking back. I wouldn't change it because it's funny. Cause it, it is does, funny. It does look like we die. Yeah, it's just a still picture of everybody's face in the car is slowly zooming out. Or, But it's amazing how the way the mind or the way you're conditioned to, to uh, pick things up like that, you know we didn't die, but when you're watching it, just the way it's edited, you think, oh, well, these guys died. Yeah. That's so all the editing did. is very manipulative, just in the wrong way. In the wrong way. But, um, no, that was a fun trip. We didn't shoot as much as we we had hoped. That that whole trip was supposed to be kind of about uh, doing a sequel to a geocache documentary that I shot. And we tried, but we couldn't find any of them. That's a funny story. Like, I've independently, of course, before I had ever known about this geocaching documentary, I myself have tried a little bit of geocaching. I, I used to do it a lot, and I... I still have an active geocaching account. It's better to do in the summer. <laughs> yes, I would say so too. But the, I, there was a sort of a tipping point where like, I would do it all over my hometown where there's a lot of people around. And it, it was, you know, you'd find, usually they use like Ziploc containers or something, you know, sealable. I think I found a couple of craft peanut butter jars that were filled with things. And there'd be, there'd be the, you know, trading cards or like just these weird little trinkets and stuff like that. I Nothing that was- a limited edition James Bond novel in one. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's cool. <laughs> I, I I transitioned a little I, bit after I, that. I had to travel to New Brunswick to get it. <laughs> I, I transitioned a little bit after that because I got bored of doing it in the urban setting because people would just constantly be going in picking things out and whatever. To up, my, my family has like sort of a, a cottage in the French River area of Ontario, which is very, it's all wilderness, basically. There's very little population density. And I just happenstance... I, this is the stupidest thing because I wasn't using the app. I wasn't actively trying to geocache. I got from a place that we've been swimming. Like my family has gone there to go swimming. It's a big cliff that you can jump off of and dive into the water. For years, we've been going there. My family suddenly got a, a canoe. So my brothers and I are like, okay, let's go across the river. There's no housing. There's no roads. There's no way to get there except if you get in this canoe or if you trek through the woods for, you know, I don't know, like a three kilometers from the nearest road on the other side. So we get to the other the other side, and there's this big, it's like a 100-foot-tall cliff. So we go to the end where we can walk slowly up it on the side. Pretty much at the peak, which it, it's a very large cliff, but at the peak, there's, you know, tons of rocky outcroppings everywhere. And it just so happens that under under one of the rocks, I just see a, I see a thermos. And I'm, I was just wondering, like, why would there be a thermos? And for whatever reason, in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's a good geocaching capsule. So I crawled under this rock, pulled it out, 
and I don't, there was a note, which, you know, I went in and I, I saw the, the book so I could sign my name and, you know, the date. The last person before me who had discovered it was like five years earlier. And before that, it, it had been hit probably 10 times over the course of maybe two years. Yeah. But it just went dead. I don't know if it became unlisted on the geocaching app or, or whatever it was. But inside of it was probably like a $100 real Italian silver chain. And I just looking at this like, oh, I, I didn't have anything to put in there because I wasn't geocaching. So I took the chain. And, and at that point, I sort of, it was a tipping point. Like I found the ultimate treasure that I could possibly imagine finding geocaching. And I still got to go back to that spot and put something yeah, in there. you do. Because if this ever goes online, I got people who are it's, heavy into the geocaching world that it's will unethical. watch this. But the last person who found it before me was so long ago. But I, I need to go back and put something in there. It's the that um, community is very interesting, and that's the thing that the documentary showed me is it's not because we geocached when I was in Scouts, and that was like early two thousand. I thought nothing of it. That'd be that'd be very different back then. I I didn't do it that far back. You probably had what GPS coordinates? You need like a, a we dedicated did, we did GPS it by compass. Yeah, compass coordinates. That's so cool though. Yeah. It's um, way more fun than just having an app that's like, oh, you're near. Go look around in the nearest 20-meter vicinity. Yeah, it was all compass coordinates, which, you know, on the scouts, makes sense. Now we just do it by GPS or on your phone. Like your phone, you've, I mean, there's a very nice geocaching app. It works fine. Um, the The documentary showed that the community is huge, and there's, there's a lot of people that really enjoy it. They have... They have uh, bumper stickers now, so you can actually see who geocaches. Hmm. Um, the we should have a geopod <laughs> geocaching podcast. Be neat. Yeah. Some of them are really hard to find. Like I don't know if I'm stupid or the details are really vague. But when we went to PEI, the only one that we found was on the last day. Well, the only few that we found were on the last day at the at the uh, Anna Green Gables uh, house, and then one that I knew was just by uh, the bridge to get off the island. Uh, everyone else we couldn't find. But some of them, when you go online, are really hard to find. There are ones that are up mountains. There are ones that are underwater. Like, you actually have to be Ooh. skilled to go under. I would love to do underwater geocaching. Mm. I never found a single one like that. Well, they're few and far between. Yeah, but like none that were even labeled near water. Um, went to Canada's first geocache in the documentary. That was out east. That was that was neat. Um, we found a a geocache that was a like a uh, just a barrel, like a giant barrel. A human could fit. We put one of our crew members in the barrel, and I thought that'd be a great uh, CSI episode. Turns out I wasn't alone. They did that. <laughs> Hide a body in a a geocache barrel. Why? I guess you want it to be found, but in a you somewhat want it to be time. found, but it is somewhat long-term sense. Yeah, but I, I, I never saw the episode, but I googled it after because, you know, it'd be a good horror movie. Geo do you, do you are you the original creator of the geocache, or do you find somebody else's geocache to put it in? <laughs> well, you have to find one that's big. If you're the original yeah, creator, yeah. that's not a good. No, it's not. It's not, not. Plan. Just, you're not. You have to find somebody else. You will get caught. So there is one in New Brunswick that is human size. Just saying. If somebody wants to use it. That's also the other thing. Doing the doing the documentary, there was a warning because the general rule of thumb in the geocaching 
world is not to give away hiding places. So there was a warning at the beginning of the documentary saying that some of the some of the uh, clues in order to get to this certain geocaches would be given away. And then when we were in PEI, we had to make sure that we were being vague about where we were exactly. So that way it's still fun for people. But yeah, I got, I've got James Bond out of them, some other trinkets and whatnot. It's neat. I, I do have a lot of things that I know certain people would consider valuable that I... I could part with, so I'd, I'd I'd get back into it. Probably not in the middle of February in <laughs> Canada, but no, another time of year it'd be lovely. It's been a while since I've done it, but I it was always fun. It was good. It's a good way to get people out and about, and you'd meet people potentially. Sometimes you you would run into people that were doing it while you were doing it. Same one, or it's kind of neat when you get to it and there's a signature on the same day. Where you go on the app, you're like somebody was here 20 minutes ago. I never got that close to it. I've I've been within maybe like a month of somebody else, but that's about it. Uh, it depends on the cash. Yeah. When again, when we were shooting the documentary, call back to last week's episode when we were in Toronto at that sound or that recording studio. Uh, the guy who was directing the geocaching documentary showed us just how even in Toronto it was crazy. He opened up the app, and on a downtown Toronto street, hidden in trees. There'd be like a dozen geocaches within just walking to like hmm. that you you wouldn't know you wouldn't think downtown Toronto is a great place to geocache. Turns out it is. It'd be a great way to deal drugs. Yes, I was, was thinking, thinking something about different that. too. I was thinking that the internet ever went down or something. There'd be like just geocaches of like porn probably everywhere. SD cards. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can fit a hell of a lot on a flash drive or something like that. It's true. It's an interesting. I know. Actually, there's weird. I, I forget what they're called. If it's like a hot point or something, but like there's places where like there's a USB. People will take a USB stick and they will cement around it so it's just the you know the oh, end I've of seen it. That. And you can just stick your laptop in, take information, drop files, whatever you want, movies, and just share. Because it's kind of a loophole for at least some things to legally distribute it. You're not using a torrenting client or anything like that. So it's it's an interesting workaround. For copyrighted content, I don't, I don't know how legal that actually is, but people claim it is. You're not selling. No. Um, You're not making copies. It could be the original file. That's true. It's. It'd be a gray area. Yeah. And I'm sure it's not something that would be condoned by, by Hollywood or anything no. like that. But nobody else is gonna care about the the geocache thing. It's interesting that it's never hasn't really been commercialized there's been geocaches like it's a geocache website i'm sure some the person maintaining the website is getting paid somehow they have geocaching merchandise but you don't have a you don't have a geo you know how like when pokemon go came out there were places that were actual like poke stops or whatever and mm -hmm. they were businesses mostly accidentally yeah but they went with it yeah. right and they're like this a poke stop they they had like the the pokemon go special and that worked really well for two weeks Mm -hmm. yeah. That's oh my god. <laughs> no business has ever because you could you can make a geocache. No business has ever made a geocache. It was like yeah, you get a two for one coupon in this geocache. I've never thought about that. No viral marketing through geocaching. None that I've heard of. I think the director of the geocache documentary made one that um, that he put a bunch of DVDs in, which I mean since it was a geocaching documentary. Makes sense. 
you could kind of start your own little uh, DVD rental, DVD sharing, geocache. How far are you really allowed to go with the geocache? Like, you could literally dig a hole and bury your capsule. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I don't think anybody's ever done that because it would just be infuriating for anybody <laughs> trying to find it. Well, but, it'd be infuriating, but it depends on how you... But if you're a smart tracker, you'd be you'd look around and you'd say, oh, the ground there looks disturbed. I mm-hmm. dig that. It, it, well, and it's all in the clues. Yeah. You're like, it, it's in the clearing three feet under. Okay, so we buried it. Yeah. And each geocache is given a rating, so if you know it's hard, there's going to be something, like, if you, if you have to... The GPS says you have to go to the middle of the ocean. It's probably not an easy one. Ooh. There probably are geocaches in the middle of the ocean. I can't imagine at what depth they would be, but... It's the reason why the documentary was called Modern Day Treasures. Yeah. Imagine if it all just, like... (laughs) Geocaching, the website disappeared. You just have capsules all over the place. You have capsules all around. You're going to... When people study us generations from now you have all these boxes just hidden around with the most random shit that hopefully survive i mean they are like time capsules but it's tricky well you gotta think you you think back to whatever creatures have roamed the earth you, you see you know fossils here and there of them but if there's one fossil there was probably you know millions of set organism running about just in that area so it's it's one of those things where you find one capsule what what does that really mean to, I don't know, aliens discovering a scorched planet Earth that's been nuked everywhere or something. It's like, well, there's a lot of radioactive sludge and fallout and uh, a lot of geocapsule somewhere. You see a ton of boxes. No, it's... It's... I mean, it, it all... Geocaching became a thing, if I remember the documentary, when Bill Clinton okayed the public use of gps like the the actual like new age gps that was accurate within a few feet mm-hmm. and then that's when it kind of took off because once you realize you could you could hide things then that was it so it was it's in i, I would I'm, of course i never lived really in that time where i could think about the implications of having gps at, at the disposal of the public because back then you would never you could never predict that oh there's going to be a thing in your dashboard that's going to tell you where to drive based on your gps location and that would advance to a phone that's going to you know give you location relevant things like hey you just walked into this diner would you like to rate it would you like to post photos of it it really transformed quite quickly i i wonder what you could have done as a member of the public with the gps when it was first okayed what would you do with that you would maybe and maybe hunters or somebody that would go on expeditions would plot GPS points? I would say hunters. Yeah. Uh, and land surveyors must have been using it a long time before that, but how accurate was it? I, I don't know how accurate it was to start. I, one, one would have to assume that if it was a big deal that the Clinton administration, and I feel like the information is true. Again, sources are... We never know what we're going to talk about, so we don't have a fact checker. I see just go with why... It. Joe Rogan has Jamie. He needs a fact checker. It's true. Um, Although there's a lot of misinformation on this podcast anyway, so whatever. That's how it goes. Um, If they made an announcement that it was accurate within a few feet, you would have to assume that it was not as accurate. So 
depending on what you were using it for. But if you, years ago, if you could get a GPS coordinate that was accurate within 30 meters or, you know. That's enough to, that's, that's to enough know to if you're, house. That's yeah, if you're lost find. somewhere, you can go find civilization. Yeah. But then within a few feet, and sometimes it's, it's eerie to watch how quick or how yeah. minutely the phones will track your and, and paired with a compass, you turn around, it knows what direction you're mm -hmm. facing too. So yeah. it's, it is very accurate. Hmm. Now, in a in a sense, the uh, the geocaching app has ruined the not ruined. It's still good. I use it if I I kind of use it as a cheat code. The geocaching app will actually tell you how far away you are because originally it was just find the like you you have a list of instructions. You have to go past the tree that's marked with oh the, just landmarks yeah okay. landmarks. And now you can just use your GPS. Still, yeah, that that was the way that I mostly interacted with it. It would bring you to a point where you're within a certain radius of the geocache, and it would say, "Okay, you're within 20 meters. You're on your own. Go, go find the geocache." That's true. I'm curious. You still have the app on your phone? I don't. No, I I should probably download it on mine. I I would use it. I think it could be a fun fun little adventure you could do maybe once a week or once. Well, a you week could or you could just shoot a, a vlog. Yeah. We we should we we should go do that. I yeah I had so much, minus the detour, I had so much fun hiking that one day down to the gorge. I would love to do it again. Minus the detour. But the detour was, was a, a bit big, much. It was a big detour. It was it wasn't. The stairs are right over here. No. I feel like it was misrepresented. Yes. A lot. Yes. Sorry. We we could have could have just walked back the way we came and been all right. Yes. Um, we did a little bit of drone flying while we were down there. We did. And that was fun. I would love to experiment a bit more if we take the drone and do it in a very specifically strategic way to 3D map something. Because I, I played around with it a little bit. I 3D mapped my house with software that I had available. But I think we should both do research and figure out exactly what software to use and then 3D map a plot of land somewhere or some didn't, didn't landmark. At one point, say, isn't there a Brock Monument? Weren't we going to yeah, do that? We were going to go there to fly, yeah. You could probably do a 3D rendering of the monument. I don't know what it... I can't visualize I it, though. The the What the object looks like? Mm -hmm. yeah. I. It's just sort of a big a big pillar. Well, it's, it'd be a good first try. Yeah, it's fine. I, I was thinking more so something we would measure distances. For, for instance, if we took it over down by that area, there's a big river, the Niagara River, that runs all the way. To, if we just stood up there, you could probably fly the thing almost to Niagara on the lake, to be honest, and you could come back, do that trip. What if you, and then you import all that data into a 3D modeling program. Now, given the one that I have, rendering that data would probably take two days, but could we, in fact, measure accurately distances between things? Say, for instance, we went on, I don't know, Google, Google Maps or something like that, and or Google Earth and took out the ruler, measured between two houses, If will we get a similar result with our th own 3D map? That's what I'm kind of curious of. Just to understand how accurate this process actually would be. The uh, There's a lot of potential for it. I mean, being able to create virtual sets for things, for movies, and, and all that's in the looming future. But, yeah. but I think it'd be best to exploit what we can do right now, given the, the technology we have. Have you experimented with 100, 120 frames a second? No. When I, the last time I flew it, I was screwing around with it. it yeah. Was good. 
How much have you flown it since I, uh, I gave it back? Every there? every day off I have. Everyone, yeah. It's no every day off that I can I'll do, but it's a lot of days it's, it's really snowy. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to be the one that crashes it. No. So <laughs> I keep thinking of that. The longer you have it, I'm just like, well, maybe he'll crash it. I no. don't know. Um, yeah, I can give it. I can give it back to you. You can fly a little bit. Uh, maybe. Maybe I'll do it on Wednesday. Give it back to you on Thursday. I am going to, and you're more. Except it's on a Saturday, but you'd be more than welcome to come. I'm going to help a friend of mine. Uh, get her horse used to weird noises. Yeah, I'm gonna go get some horse running video footage. That's amazing. I want to do that. Okay, it's absolutely. I'll get you the date after. Okay, the um, it's a few weeks from now. But it's on a Saturday. That that could be the first sort of professional thing we do with it. Really, it it's so much fun to fly. I it's the first one that well, it's the second one that I've had, but it's the first one that I trust. the The first one that I had, it worked. But I never trusted it to just, you know, stay. I always had to, but I can move around. I feel I feel good about it. The camera movements, I was trying to track Justin on the beach. So as he was walking, yes, it just looks like I'm dollying across the beach. But yeah. you think there was no prep involved with that. And he's walking. And then he turns around and I turn around. Like I'm really trying to get the the, the narrative movements with the camera and whatnot. That's... That's interesting. What, if you had to make a list of ground rules, because I think we both sort of, un, you know, we haven't really talked about them, but what we should and should not do with the drone, what things we should. Obviously, there are limitations to what height you can fly at in Canada. I think it's about a 110 meters where you're basically safe to fly and do almost whatever, so long as it's not a restricted airspace, which turns out to be about 400 feet, right? But there's other rules that you shouldn't fly it out of line of sight. Now, the way that it's it's really difficult to say because I mean you could you could lose sight of it when it's right in front of your face. That's sometimes. true. It's it's a really small object, but it you know at what point is it is it too far to go? Because what I've done is I've flown it. I would say probably to about half no maybe about forty percent of its maximum range. I technically it was a clear line of sight. It was very difficult to make out in that kind of distance. I would probably would lose it. But thankfully, due to the cameras and due to the, the map information, I could fly back to myself no matter what. It's I would not have flown it that far if it was me. But that being said, the more I use it, the more comfortable I am with it. When I was when I was flying, I went to the beach, which was stupid because it was nice that day, but the beach was cold. Uh, um, I was practicing with the return to home. It's, it, it, it works it, amazing. It works very well. Um, we're speaking of the DJI Mavic, Mavic Pro. Just, if anybody wants to know, the the return to home was nice. It's actually fairly easy to switch from, you know, 120 frames a second back. Like I was just I was just screwing around to see what I could do. The footage looked fine. I tried it with the with the um, the D log or whatever it is. Yeah, I've tried a little bit of the D log too. Um, but the, it was kind of an ugly day anyway, so... I well, it looks great no matter what day it is. <laughs> That's true. Um, it's... It's really cool. <laughs> I... You... I, I personally still feel a little bit at risk if I was... I don't want to fly in precipitation. I, no matter... If it's snowing or raining... I wouldn't that's, do it. That's why I can't fly it on my days off because yeah. it always seems to snow. 
Like the the distances just don't scare me because I at least what I I did before we had this drone and what I've still been doing is I watch videos of people they will take it to like the max distance you can go, and what I did is not even a fraction of that to be honest. I I think it's quite safe to do long distance flying, as long as you have a you know let's just say you're up high somewhere where you have a clear you know maybe you can't you see it very well but a clear, well, a clear line, line of sight yeah. of where it is flying to yes so you know you're not going to hit you know the skyline tower sure or or for instance could you, could you imagine eating dinner <laughs> skyline tower <laughs> you see there's a little plink little tiny thing just flying i think it's going to hit us yeah hopefully they're not stupid wouldn't hopefully put it even it wouldn't like do glass. anything no. make a noise yeah it would It'd startle hmm. but really i i feel comfortable doing that it's I would never want to try to fly it indoors just because I, just for the sake of trying to do it, I tried to take off tried. in the in my office and I, I have I have a really big window. Like to be fair, it's a very large window up there that I could open, and I wanted to fly it out that window. Just so much easier for my sake to go do a flight. It wouldn't let me do it, and you know, what? flying back, flying backwards, it wouldn't detect the obstacle, so it's fine. I could almost fly out backwards, but then it would still start doing weird things where something's below it, so it wants to fly up mm. automatically, and it's. I, I wouldn't be comfortable doing that either. So it's it's really finding where you feel safe with it because so many drone drone flyers just crash into That's the lake why or whatever they else. Let you buy a drone right through the app. Yeah, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> I think um, yeah, you, you have to be safe about it. As I said, this one, I'm a better flyer with this one because even though it's it's very similar to the Phantom 2 in its controls. I feel completely at home. It's there's there's more finesse to it. it. It's I don't have to worry about it. When I stop, it stops. And you've seen it when we were trying the obstacle avoidance. When it's flying full and it gets to you, it stops. On the dime, yeah. <laughs> it, it's incredibly predictable predictable. I I feel very in control of flying it. When uh I was showing Justin the drone. We, I did a Back to the Future thing, drove it, and I had the control. And I'm like, when this drone hits 88 miles per hour, you see some serious shit. And he flew it towards us, and he was literally like Marty in Back to the Future. He stepped away, and I'm like, no, stay. And it came, and as Stop soon as dead. it beeped, it went beep, beep. And it's, it's not a jerk. Like, even if you we're chasing something the footage would be usable right till the end it doesn't just stop it's just the nice proper just gradual i really want to do some driving scenes like maybe we get somebody to go out in a car and we just follow them and maybe you know the we person should, should piloting the drone should be in the car country road yeah of course you do it in a secluded area you get a apartment and you get the police to block off the the area and you're yeah good to go but it should be I mean, <laughs> with or without the secluded or the, the police blocking off country hey we're road doing it by the book aren't we yeah we are um, yeah, still got to figure out the insurance thing on that. That's you know what? I was, I, at least as far as the American rules go, there has actually only ever been a single person charged under the FCC's rules. And it was, it was during the first, I guess, the first week or so that they were implemented. It was, uh, it, it, pretty much nobody gets in trouble for using drones, even in national parks. It's a very rare occurrence that something goes wrong like that. And I don't... I think there needs to be, we have very specific rules, but there's nobody enforcing them. Well, I was, when I talked to my insurance provider, 
the first thing that he said was, will you be flying a drone? And I said, okay, I have one. I, I think the technology is cool. I use it for fun. And for all purposes, I do use it for fun. The fact that a drone may or may not appear at certain weddings, I have no control over. It may or may not be mine. It's just for fun. That's what he told you to say? No, that's what I'm saying. Okay. For legal reasons, it's right. just for fun. Right. And he said that, and this was quite a few years, this was 2016. Okay. He said that no typical uh, photography insurance policy, like we'll, we'll specifically cover for it, will cover it. I'm like, that's interesting. So all these companies that have drones, they're flying without insurance. He's like, most likely. Pretty much, yeah. You could get specialty insurance for it, but the average person, you're lucky if photographers have insurance. So the average person wouldn't be insured for the drone. I'm like, really? He's like, yes. So I'm like, just, like, why? He's like, because nothing has went wrong. Pretty but much. But if in Niagara, and it did happen... But if in Niagara something were to happen, like a wedding videographer cuts a bride's face open and there's some sort of lawsuit, that's when people have to start coming down. And there was, and it didn't really amount to much, but there was a drone in Niagara that the operator lost control of the drone and it fell out of the sky and hit a cop car. Oh. It's probably one of the worst types of cars to hit. You know, in theory it shouldn't be. I mean, it's a, it's a paid for by tax dollars, so... You'd hope that it would be easy to repair, but... He was caught. Yeah. I guess we, we have to put our information on that drone, too, at some point. I think we have to. You mean... Oh, actually, no, I had, I had the thought... I don't know if this is what you're speaking of specifically, but just putting a sticker or something on it that has return information. Because, yeah, the, not going to lie. I mean, when I was flying it far, I thought, well, if it does fall, if somebody finds it, I'd like to hope that they would return it. But I also thought, well, if it falls, it's just going to fall in the forest. I could go get it. It's yeah, the, the GPS on it seems accurate enough, as long as it doesn't land in the water. Yeah, as long as it doesn't go in the water. Or, or it doesn't get stuck in a tree. And, and you have a, a layout of, like, where it lost GPS signal. So if you lose GP, GPS signal, stay still. Or fly higher. That would be the only thing that I would possibly do. Because the remote keeps connection pretty much in all circumstances. It's the it's video feed that would cut out. Yeah, it's a great remote, really. So It's a lot better than the phantom two remote and, and that's one of the tricky things with the the cap of the 400 feet to get a clear line of sight in a lot of places if you're flying from somewhere low ground level being able to fly high would be nice you would have an extended range because you could keep a line of sight with your drone so it would be helpful but i don't think that's the law the, about that's going to change that's the tough soon. one that we figured out because that 400 feet cap is based on where you take off so we were at the gorge. It's it's not even accurate. So technically, we could be breaking the law, but not know about it. Like it's so it's difficult. I wonder if it is like if you get caught flying over four hundred feet, but which says, you wouldn't, because literally nobody has ever been caught doing that. But sure, um, if you did, and the app says three seventy five. I mean, not that it'd be off by that much, but. I don't know where it would stand. I've always wondered, uh, like, if you if you wanted to wreck havoc, nothing to do with drone flying, you could go at night and change the speeds on speed signs out in public. The speed? Yeah, like, you know, the ones that are marked 50? Yeah. Change it to 60, change it to 70, see if people notice. Because the cops pull you over. Like, if you, if you on a residential street, changed the signs, yeah. yes, 
residential is supposed to be 50, but if it's marked 50 and you change it to 70, and you consistently change it to 70, and a cop pulls somebody over, they're like, well, it says 70. The cops yeah. are like, it didn't say 70. But it did. But if it did, that person has, would probably be let off the hook. It would be let off the hook. They'd have to go to court for it. Yeah. But they'd be let off the hook because it was clearly marked 70. That's true. Even wrongfully, it was still clearly marked 70. Hmm. I always wondered how that would go. <laughs> I bet it's been done. Probably. I always feel sketchy on the highway sometimes because when they have construction they signs and it's marked 80, but then they put wood over it and it's marked 100 because they're not working. Like, I don't know if I trust that. No. But. It's not official. No, it's, uh, for the for the drone flying, you're right. The odds of anybody, ca uh, I mean, catching, yeah, not likely. I think the insurance is mostly for damages. Yes, which could occur. I'm sure. I'm sure it happens during weddings all the time where, Something gets broken and you, you know, need to be able to pay for that using an insurance, you know, taking an insurance policy. I, I feel like, see, when the, when drones, when the, when the Phantom 2 first came out, it seemed that every guy, every groom, when he saw one, would be like, oh, you fly drones. We're like, yeah. Mm -hmm. How much does it cost? And they've become so synonymous with video production that unless you're a big video production company, I feel like if the event needs it, it's expected that it, can it be should done. be included. Yeah, and makes sense. I mean, for the amount, it's not like you are. Pardon? I think I need to take a washroom break. Oh, that's fine. I'll just talk. That happens all the time in some podcasts. It does, although there's usually more than two people. That's true. Um, it's also possible we could just cut it. We could just cut it. We'll see. I don't know. I'll rant. Enjoy the washroom break. You should do a, a sponsor, a fake sponsor. Fake sponsor. Well, um, I don't know really what to say. Uh, if this goes online before we have a song or a name, what do you guys think this should be named? I think that that's a... That's something that we should be working on. It's really hard to come up with a name because we talk about so many different things. I think that when the podcast is released, we're going to have to tell everybody what we talk about in the title. Like we've covered geocaching, uh, drones, we've covered movies. Like it's it's a very well-rounded podcast. I don't know how much of the stuff I say is bullshit. I don't know how much stuff that Eric says is bullshit. I respect him. He's really smart. So I'm assuming that I'm more of a bullshitter than he is. But I, as I said before, I learned from experience. So sometimes my experience ends up being bullshit or the stories change. I don't know. But if you guys are watching this and there hasn't been a title yet, please let us know what you think the title should be because that is very important. Uh, when it was going to be more photography related, it was going to be something like Tripodcast, but uh, that's a stupid title unless we end up using it, in which case this can be just cut out. But I really think that if it is posted without a title, you should probably let us know what you think the title should be. But it may have a title. So if it has a title, it doesn't matter. It, 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 the title was chosen. But if it doesn't have a title, let us know what you think in the comments below. Are we really going to give in to, to popular demand if they suggest a title? I guess it'd have to be really good. If it's a good title. Yeah, I can do that. Um, what were we talking about before? I don't know. Well, oh. drones, of course. Well, the, the, yeah, the... They should be included if you're flying 
if you're flying a drone for a wedding or even a small production, the entire production isn't based around the drone. Like drones no. in general are used for establishing shots, stuff that needs to be done. So at best, on a wedding day, even if you did, you could do it before most of the stuff happens, like the you know, yeah, the sunrise over this venue. And if you're right, if you're doing just establishing shots on the wedding day, you're flying, maybe the bride's house, maybe the groom's house, the church venue, maybe the photos, maybe five times, single battery. Now you're flying for three minutes each time. Not mm -hmm. even, not even a long time. No, not at all. So it's actually, now I'm thinking about it. I wonder if you could pre-program. I'm pretty sure you could a flight path. A f not necessarily a flight path, but a, well, maybe not a flight path, but I wonder if you could pre-program a, a speed into it, like where if you pressed, I realize you can do point A to point B, Yeah. but I wonder if you could pre-program the speed for point A to point B, because you could easily transition from venue to venue. Like, At a specific speed? Well, imagine flying forward. And then it just, in the same movement, so it looks smooth, transition from, from one venue to the next. Probably look pretty neat. Yeah, I'd love in to my head, a match cut of yeah. different, different venues. That's where editing and directing becomes very, very interesting. That, grander uh, vision at that point, really. That script, um, the one that we were talking about, not the Christmas movie, the, the one that's based on my brother's stuff. Mm -hmm. I've been writing the actual script part of it now, and I've been trying to direct it in my head. Huh. And you want to talk about directing in a head, you have to look for symbolism and callbacks to the... It's very interesting. It's fun. I love it. I'm, I'm still stuck on the idea of... Because now you brought up the, the, the match cut sequence. I feel like really from this point forward, since we have a drone since we sometimes get multi-videographer gigs, I would love to, not even necessarily knowingly of the, the you know, bride and groom, just do some, some drone footage, stuff like that, B-roll, stuff that they're not expecting, but man, their mind would be blown if it was included in their wedding. Well, I, I think, as I said, that's, if they don't expect it, if you... I was at the casino today, and on one of the screens I was watching and it was a video and it looked like a walkthrough. It was walking up to the fountains at the Falls View Casino. Right. And it was a walkthrough and then it just slowly rose. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. I love those. I thought it was just a really smooth gimbal shot, but no, it's a drone flying and it just went. And I think if you played with their expectations a little bit, maybe started it. On the ground. Started it uh, our level. Yeah. It'd be really neat. Especially if they aren't expecting. You could think of a church, too, where, like, you know, the church is there, the, the two front doors are open, and you're coming up the walkway, whatever it is, to the front entrance. And, you know, they're like, oh, the shot's going to go into the church and show the church. But well, also, just before the entrance, it goes right up, the and steeple. you get to see it down. Yeah. That would be fantastic. And the, uh, the top-down view, I really like. I really like that drone. It was it was good that we got it. Mm -hmm. you know, we got to get some lights, and we should get some field monitors for now, monitoring. But the, the drone was a good little... And the interesting thing is, as amazing as this is, it's still a little bit of a, a test in the in the way that you know we're we do this professionally as as videographers and photographers for for weddings and things like that. People that do this big time use stuff like the Osmore stuff that uses like an actual DSLR mount on all these things. We have DSLRs. We've we've extra DSLRs. We could throw in a drone and not even think twice, right? So. 
think of it if they put the same kind of artificial intelligence that's you know getting this thing to be super stable and you know it could come back home and all these different features in something that has a more advanced camera on it especially if it can give you a live video feed i don't know how how those cameras work and at least in the past they you didn't get a video feed you stuck a camera on there and you had to look up at the thing and make sure it was filming the right part of the scene or get a really really long cable yeah long cable <laughs> But this is all a transition to, I guess, where we're going in the future if we're going to incorporate more drone footage. Well, now you'd potentially be able to, would be the 6D Mark II. You'd probably hook that up and you'd get a live, you could get That's a live bad. video feed to your phone, depending on how far away it is, but I'm pretty sure you How can. do you do that? It's just a Bluetooth feature with the DSLR? I feel DSLR? like it is. But that's such a limited range. <laughs> Depends on what you're using it for. You'd be able to fly over a church with it. Bluetooth, you'd probably get like 60 feet. Yeah, you could fly over church, but you think the way that the the Mavic works, you you can get a clear video feed like you know two kilometers away, no problem. You know, I, clear day, easy. I, I was testing that again too because you can choose the 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 quality of the video feed in the like that's on the screen, and I was testing because I actually prefer a lower quality video but high no frame. drop frames. Yes. Because that way, at least I know that everything, everything connection-wise... If is... you leave it like that, I'd like to have a look at it. Because I personally haven't been able to play with those settings yet. What we need to do is we need to get together and fly it again. Yeah. Because we've both been doing things. A lot of things independently. Yeah. Playing with all the pro... I've been playing more so with the settings for, for the video footage itself and the way that the drone flies. But I haven't really cared that much about my own experience looking at my phone screen. But honestly, just from personal experience, the way that I do things on my own computer and... The way I like to look at things, a high frame rate, no drop frames would be much preferable to a 1080p stream because really I can't tell the difference between 1080p and 720p on my phone screen. It looks the same. No, and with uh, Adobe Premiere, I found I didn't really get a choice with Final Cut Pro. It would show me what it was. It'd crap out at 4K. Yeah, it would. I mean, my iMac would handle 4K on Final Cut Pro 7 okay. Didn't on my MacBook Pro. No. But now on the 4K iMac, yeah, I'll put it at a quarter of the resolution just to make sure that it's playing complete. And yeah, it's fine. I, I, and I mean, when I'm editing this, it's it can be full resolution. It doesn't matter. It doesn't chug the system. No, not at all. 1080p is Although, simple work for a computer these days. Yeah. The, the weird thing about Adobe Premiere, and I mentioned this, that highlight reel that I'm making that I need to change the music on, I understand. I spent two hours trying to export the video because it wouldn't let me export. I couldn't figure out why. It was saying that the problem was occurring at this time. Right. And I was like, okay, I'll export everything before that time. It worked fine. Mm -hmm. So I go to that time, export's fine. I'm like, okay, so it's lying to me and I don't know why it's lying to me. And I was looking at all the footage that I had. I thought, okay, I'll export this. Worked fine. So I made, I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, okay. Made a new timeline. And I dragged and dropped footage oh. and I rebuilt for, uh, um, clip by clip. Okay. And I found the clip that was causing the export problem. The thing that doesn't make sense is that clip is a cut up single commercial that I've used. So there's something about the single point in time in that clip that it doesn't like. I can use the I can use different points in that exact same clip, just not that one. I can't figure it out. 
the uh, error code that I'm getting, yeah. I can't Google. They give me an error code. There's nothing about it. Problems like that are, you get problems that are so specific that you know that pretty much nobody has either had it before or like it's just a weird or just never would get posted in somewhere where there's like a, a you know form or whatever to, to look it up but two hours of time for that that is a lot of time wasted i figured it out yeah but the problem is is the clip that i use now isn't the clip that i wanted because it won't let me <laughs> so no editing's fun and this this will make me i enjoy the multi-cam editing so much because in my head, I feel like I'm back in school with a director behind me saying, okay, ready camera one, take camera one. Ready camera two, take camera two. It'd be nice to, I mean, with, with uh, two or three cameras, it's easy because it's just one, two, three, and you're able to do it. But 16, you'd, 16, you'd look at really a lot hard. at the same time. Um, There's got to be a way to almost automate it where it, the program would know that i'm talking and my audio source i would is linked assume to my camera is, there would have to be it'd be it'd be pretty cool the problem is is if we're both talking i wonder if they did it like if, if there is you would almost wonder if there was a minimum uh like base plus one so if there's two people talking there needs to be three camera feeds because when you're talking, take camera one, take camera two. If we're both talking. If, if there's a artificial intelligence in the program that can recognize this, so it, it knows which microphones are being activated, it would be very simple to code something that would just tell, okay, that equals switch to camera one, two, or three. I think I think that would be pretty simple to do. A lot of TV editors are going to be out of work if that exists. Yeah, well, that's how it goes. <laughs> no, uh, I'm enjoying it. It's... It's fun. It's good. I like the multicam stuff, and I think for weddings and for anything else, it's going to be, be badass. It just makes me want to shoot more multicam things. And I think we'll be enjoying it for quite some time to come. And I think it's coming to a time when we should be wrapping up. Yes, we should. Because we have places to go and food to eat. And this was the longest one. This is, uh, I don't know, it's an hour 37. That's good. That's you good. know, there should be a mode on here, podcast mode, where it just flips everything on the H4N. Cause you would think... Yeah. It would, but it doesn't. It would. Anyway. Well, this one was definitely before podcasting was, well, not necessarily, but not mainstream. I feel like a reporter would have this kind of microphone back back then. I, I we tried our hand at podcast. I tr Justin and I tried our hand at podcasting back in two thousand eight. Mm -hmm. Not good. No. Not good. Way worse than this. Well, well, it sounded worse. It was just yeah. audio, and it was recorded on a single headset microphone it's uh, like one of those uh, I know exactly what that would sound like yeah it was very teeny yes um, but it was fun we did we it was a lot more scheduled than this we had a uh, movie recap we had a sports recap it was just general talking we gotta we gotta get into all and just keep doing it over and over again because we'll get good at it well, I was talking sure. to the camera we were in the washroom right and I was saying how basically every podcast you would get a title we're going to have to, in the like searchable data and whatnot, explain what we're talking about because they could, because we're so sporadic with everything, with a, a general, with a general tie towards camera Tech. related items, geocaching people will listen to this one. They might listen to other ones. Maybe. Um, Let's hope. Feel like there's, we, because we talk about so much, you'll have to, there's so many things you'd have to, you'd have to in the data say, 
And on this week's episode, we're talking about geocaching. We're talking about... Uh, we could film a pre-roll before each one. Could. Especially when we get sponsors. <laughs> and to that bright idea of a future, I think it's time to sign yeah. off. Let's go for dinner. Let's go for dinner. Good night, everybody. My beer glass is empty. Oh. Well. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>